Thanks for joining us today. We're excited that you came across this message. The sermon you're about to watch is from our teaching series, The Dearest Place on Earth. During this series, we're exploring some important questions about the church. A lot of people have opinions about the church, experiences with the church, or maybe even some preconceived notions about what the church is. What we wanna do is take a look at how the Bible answers these four questions. What is the church? Who leads the church? What does it mean to be a part of a church? And what is the mission of the church? If you're joining us for the first time today, I wanna to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. Once again, thanks for joining us today. The church is the most beautiful, powerful, and transformative institution on the planet. To unify every class and culture of people and birth community despite our differences. No other institution has been commissioned with the life-changing gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. To bring people from every tribe, tongue, and nation from death to life. The church is not an event we attend or a building we enter, but a family we grow with and people we love. This is the church. This is the church. Yeah. Imperfect as it is, it is the nearest place on earth to us. Amen. Well, good morning once again, Hope Church family. I'm excited to jump in. We got some family business to take care of before we get to the sermon. Last week, I challenged all of us to memorize two verses of scripture. And here comes the time. You're laughing. I'm gonna call somebody right now to say this verse out. And I'm gonna ask for a raise of hands. Do you know, we're gonna start with one verse. We have four weeks to memorize two verses. I know we can do it. I'm gonna ask for somebody to boldly say what uh, Hebrews 10, 24 is. Somebody at the Thursday night service knew it. You got it right here? Hebrews 10, 24. Don't look at your phone. Give it to us. Oh, you can, I can read it. We're trying to memorize it. Memorize. Does anybody have Hebrews 10, 24 from memory? Right up here? Here we go. Oh, he stood up. Here we go. <laughs> All right, Jason, come on. That's it. That's 24. That's 24. We're going to do 25 next week. Let's put it up. Let's all read. Let's all read this together out loud. One, two, three, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Amen. Good job, Jason. Maybe next week we'll give you 25 as well. I hope, I hope you are memorizing. Uh, we, as we're in this series, we challenged all of us to get in God's word, to be marked as people that love and live in God's word. And one of the ways we're doing that is memorizing that, those two verses. We will do that again next week and we'll add verse 25. But let's jump in to today's message. Go ahead and open your Bibles. I want them open before us. We got a lot of truth to digest today and praying that the spirit of God uses his word. So uh, Colossians chapter one is where we're gonna start. We're gonna be in three main passages of scripture today. But we're going to start in Colossians 1 in just a minute. No doubt every person in the room has had good and bad experiences with leadership. 
I don't know what you think of when you think of that word, but I, I can imagine you're thinking of good examples of leadership in your life as well as bad examples of leadership in your life. Prayerfully, we've all experienced good leadership through coaches and teachers and parents, like somebody that helped show you the way through good leadership. Maybe in the church, good godly leadership, spiritual leadership that helped you understand what it means to follow Jesus more and more. Unfortunately, because we live in a broken world, we've all also experienced bad leadership. Somebody that, that did not do a good job of showing us the way. Maybe it is in your family or in a sports situation or a classroom or God forbid, even within the church, some of you have experienced poor spiritual leadership. And because we have both good and bad examples of leadership in our lives, many people, maybe even in this room, have become leery of leadership and averse to authority. I'd rather just do away with it. All the, the politicians and the, the people in my life, they've just constantly let me down. I'm done with it. But the word of God would proclaim that he desires his bride, the church, to be led well. And we want to see today that we actually believe it's how he designed it to thrive. We're in, a two, we're in a second week of our series, The Dearest Place on Earth. You've seen the video. We're memorizing scripture together. We're going to continue this pivotal sermon series. The, the title comes from the 19th century pastor, Charles Spurgeon. I want to reread this quote that we read last week. He said this, if I had never joined a church till I'd found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. I am not going to re-preach last week's sermon. If you are a part of the Hope Church family, I highly encourage you, go back online if you missed it. But suffice to say, the church is imperfect because the church is made up of people. But in God's sovereignty, what we are discovering is he has birthed the church to still be a hospital for the sick, a place of, of prayer for the weak, a garden bed of growth for the Jesus follower, and an anchor of truth for those that don't know Jesus, the dearest place on earth. One thing I do have to say that we'll say every week that we need to feel in our bones. The church is not a place. The church is a people. Let's say that out loud together on three. One, two, three. The church is not a place. The church is a people. Heard somebody say that just randomly in my life this week. I said, yes, we're catching on. We didn't come to church today. The church came to fill a building today. The church is not a place, the church is a people, but it is a people that have been placed. You are here not by accident, but by the sovereignty of God. Specifically, if you are a part of the Hope Church family, you are here for a purpose. We need you. So that's what we looked at last week. This week, the question on the table is, who leads the church? Who leads the church? Now, you may be sitting here and thinking, okay, I don't really understand why this matters. <laughs> Let's move on to something that's more, uh, more personally beneficial for me. I don't know if it matters who leads the church. I wanna try to convince you with this statement why this matters. The direction of Hope Church, the spiritual growth of Hope Church, and the local and global impact of Hope Church are directly linked to who leads Hope Church. 
This matters for all of us because if you are a part of the Hope Church family, everything about where we are going, how we are growing, and how God is going to use us matters. Listen, if you are here today and you are a guest or you are a visitor or you're visiting from another church, listen, we are so glad you're here. We're going to open up God's word in just a minute. And anytime the word of God is open, you can benefit and you can lean in and be changed by it. But this is a home team sermon. This is for the people that call Hope Church home. If you're a part of this church family, I hope you walk out of here with with some clarity on who leads the church, but also some confidence in who leads the church. Because here's a reality that is true across all of human history. As the leaders go, so the people go. As the leaders go, so the people go. You could probably think of instances in your life where this is true. We see this not only in the world, but in the word of God. If you know your Old Testament, One of the saddest phrases, I actually underline it every time I see it as a warning to me as a leader. One of the saddest phrases, specifically when it's talking in the Old Testament, all the kings that began to reign. One of the saddest statements you'll see is this. And they did evil in the sight of the Lord. It says that way more, unfortunately, than they did right in the sight of the Lord. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. Why is that so significant? Because the paragraphs and the pages that follow show that as the leaders go, so the people go. After they did evil in the sight of the Lord, you see the people also doing evil. And that led to exile and famine and much pain for the people of God. As the leaders go, so the people go. So who leads the church? Now, real quick, there also might be some of you in the room that think, well, I don't really understand why we're talking about this because we already know who leads the church. Scott, right when you got on stage, you had a little tag that said, senior pastor, you lead the church. Scott, move on next week. Let's go on to something more important. Scott Worthington, you lead the church. And I'm here to tell you, praise God, that is actually not true. There is somebody much greater and much better leading this church fellowship because that is the first point we need to get today. Here's Number one, Jesus has ultimate authority in the church. Jesus has ultimate. Listen, when you think about the church, before we talk about human leadership, we have to first talk about the one who died and rose again to establish this incredible institution. And we're going to read it in Colossians chapter one. I hope it's on your app or there in your lap in your physical Bible. I want your eyes on the word of God because it's sufficient for us. Here's what Colossians chapter one, verse 15 says about this Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. This is big God stuff right here, church. The firstborn of all creation. Listen to this. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Before you get to verse 18, some of us have read that so many times, it doesn't even phase us anymore. What we just read is everything that exists was created for Jesus, through Jesus. And if that's not enough, he's also the one holding every single thing in existence together. This is who Jesus is. And then look at verse 18. And he That God, that Jesus that we just saw, all that beautiful, awesome, big God stuff, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Listen, the universal church all over the world, across time and space, all of that belongs to him. And the local church, Hope Church, right here belongs 
to him. He is the head of the church and he has ultimate authority in the church. That's why we can, with confidence, look at Matthew 16, 18, that says he will build his church. That same God who holds everything together, he's the one building his church and that's why the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what I need us to understand as we talk about who leads the church is if that wasn't true, the church would fail. If anybody else was leading the church, the church would fail because leaders fail. Human leaders fail. If I haven't already, newsflash, I will fail you at some point because I am not God and he hasn't called me to be God. None of our pastors, none of our directors, none of our leaders are God, but praise him. We know who is God and we lean into him for everything that we know and have. It doesn't matter who the best podcast preacher is or who the best pastor you've had in your life. They will always fail you, but there is one who will not fail. And he's the one that has ultimate authority in the church. I want to give you a graphic illustration that I apologize if you get a little squirmy with this. But when a body is disconnected from the head, it is inoperable. If a body ever becomes disconnected from the head, it does not work. In fact, the French Revolution, they figured this out. They, they actually created a, an execution, execution machine that was the quickest way to make a corpse out of a body. It's called the guillotine. You've seen it. It immediately disconnects the head from the body. When a body becomes disconnected from the head, it immediately becomes a corpse. Nothing in the body works apart from the head. Every member of the body physical body is completely dependent on the head. Suffice to say, apart from the head, our bodies can do nothing. Some of you are picking up what I'm putting down. This is a stark warning for our church and every church of Jesus Christ. When we deny who the head is, when we deny the power and the preeminence of the head, when we become disconnected from the head, churches cease to be churches and they become corpses. He's the head and apart from him, we can do nothing. He told us that in John chapter 15, verse five. I want us to feel this on a personal level because you're a part of the body. As a follower of Jesus, a part of the body of Christ, apart from the head, you personally in your life can also do nothing. And some of you need to hear that as the whole sermon for you today because you've been trying to fix your marriage apart from Christ. You've been trying to fix the problems in your family apart from pressing into and being dependent on the head who's the only way you can have power and strength to do what needs to be done and you're failing and you're wondering why. It's because you're disconnected from the head. So at Hope Church, we magnify Christ above everything. He is going to be supreme. He is going to be the one we talk about more than any single person. The first answer to who leads the church is Jesus has ultimate authority in the church. Amen? Here's the second Big truth we'll talk about today. Jesus empowers human leadership in the church. Jesus empowers human leadership in the church. In his sovereignty, God chooses to appoint humans empowered by his spirit to lead the church. This is so fascinating, but we've seen it all throughout human history. Again, if you know your Old Testament, you know the names like Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Deborah and David. Read their stories. These are flawed individuals. But these are flawed individuals who trusted in a big God and through them, God led the people of God. That's how he planned it from the beginning. God would lead his people through his people. But here's the most significant thing you need to hear today. 
the character of these people matters. The character of the leaders God appoints matters. We've said that as imperfect as the church is, it is still the dearest place on earth. And as imperfect as leaders are, human leaders, it is still God's plan to lead his people through his people. So very simply today, we're going to look at the biblical leaders of the church. Who are the biblical leaders of the church? We see two of them for us in the local church. Some of you have heard of these things. Pastors, that's obviously something you've heard of. You have many pastors, but also deacons as you read the New Testament. I want to talk about the second one for just a minute, but spend the majority of our time talking about what it means to be led by pastors. So we'll start with deacons. Who are the deacons in the New Testament? These are servants that are set apart to meet the needs within the body of Christ. Deacons are both men and women who serve the church in various ways. We see both men and women in the New Testament serving as deacons. You can read about these servants in Acts chapter 6, 1 Timothy 3, Romans chapter 16. Suffice to say, deacons in conjunction with, local, with pastors, they help meet the physical and social needs within a local fellowship. You could say it like this, deacons lead by serving. We have deacons here at Hope Church. We have an incredible team of men and women who love and serve us so well. In fact, if you've ever been in the hospital or one of your family members has been in the hospital or we've walked through bereavement with you and, and, and held a funeral for, you, for your loved one here at Hope Church, you have been ministered to and served by our deacons. We are so, so grateful for our deacons here. They're behind the scenes serving so well the fellowship called Hope Church. But then there's also pastors. Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to spend some time in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Love to hear all those Bibles turning. I can't hear you scrolling, but I know you are. If deacons lead by serving, pastors serve by leading. As you read the New Testament... There are many words that describe these leaders. There's words like elder and bishop and overseer. These are words you see all throughout the New Testament. We're going to see those in several passages we'll look at today. But these terms are used more or less interchangeably, meaning there's no real distinction in the New Testament with these things. They're not different offices. They're the same office and different words to describe those. And pastor is another one of those. It's a word that means shepherd. If you've been around Hope Church, if you're a part of our family, you know that we use the word pastor. Some churches use the term elder, but here at Hope, we use the term pastor. There's a couple things that I want us to understand about pastors. First one is what, who a pastor is matters. Who a pastor is matters, specifically speaking of character. Again, the character of the people God chooses to lead his people matters. God takes seriously the character of the leader he empowers to shepherd his people, to lead his bride. So what we're going to do is we're just going to do a running commentary real quick through 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's why I need us to see this. So if you don't have your Bible open, please open it to 1 Timothy 3. We're going to read the first seven verses and just give a little bit of commentary. We'll spend a little bit more time on the top half, and then we'll read the rest pretty quickly. Let's read the first verse. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 says this. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. 
By the way, there's a similar list to this in, in Titus chapter one. You can look at that later, maybe do some reading this week. But what follows and is really a, a list of characteristics of what a pastor needs to be, qualifications. Now, I know some of you will be tempted right now to kind of check out. I'm gonna just see what my email says. I'm gonna check and see what's for lunch. This sounds more like a pastoral training class than it does a sermon for the church, Scott. Why are we walking through these? Here's what I want us to see. With the exception of one thing that we're gonna see later on in this list, all of these are character-based. There is one skill-based thing that pastors need to have as qualification, but the rest of them are character-based qualifications meaning it's not just for pastors. Biggest mistake we make is go, oh man, thank God I don't have to be these things. I'm not a pastor. No, 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 no. You're gonna see in just a minute, these are not exclusively pastoral things. These are Christian things. What pastors are called to be is an example to the flock in how to be matured as a follower of Jesus. So lest you be tempted to check out and say, that's not for me. Yes, it is. We as pastors are to be an example for what it looks like to be sanctified under King Jesus over a long period of time in this thing called discipleship. I love how John Stott said it. He said, we pastors cannot hide what we are. Indeed, what we are speaks as plainly as what we say. Pastors are told to be models of Christian maturity. So what we're gonna read is not just for the high and holy pastors. God requires us to be these things, but it's an example to what we're all becoming. So let's look at it in verse two. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. We won't spend a lot of time on all these, but I wanna spend a little bit of time on the first two. Above reproach is a word that means blameless. Hear this clearly. It does not mean perfect. Let all my friends and family say amen. (laughs) It does not mean perfect. Above reproach is a word that means blameless, meaning as accusations come, Pastors are to live a life that that those accusations, although they may come, they won't stick to your life because there's an above reproach, a blamelessness. There would be people that would accuse me, for example. I'll use my own personal life as 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 an illustration. As people accuse me, there would be people in my life, if I'm living blamelessly, that would say, listen, listen, that doesn't sound like Scott. I don't see that in Scott. This is a non-stickiness. As the accusations come, they will not stick. Why? Because there is to be an above reproach living. Listen, above reproach does not mean sinless. We are sinners saved by the same grace God gave you when he saved you at the finished work of Jesus Christ for us. And we are wholly dependent on him. We are not sinless, but pastors are not to have a lifestyle and a habit of sin That is not blameless. That's what this means to be blameless, to be above reproach. Let's keep going. Then it says the the husband of one wife. I want to spend some time on this. This is very specifically important for us as a fellowship, explaining some convictions that we hold dear because of what we see in the word of God. This term husband of one wife in the original language, the Greek language, it means a one woman man. I wanna break that down working backwards, a one woman man. The first thing that we'll talk about is is man. This is important convictionally for us as a church. The the text in the original language is is gender specific. Now we're not gonna get in the weeds of all this. If you have some questions later, you can let us know. We're not gonna get in the weeds, but I wanna be concise and clear. We believe that the word of God is clear when it comes to the office of pastor. That office is exclusively meant for men to 
hold because of what we see in the gender specificity in the New Testament. This is in no way, this is in no way to say that men are more important than women. We believe that God made them male and female, both in his image in equal value and dignity. But equal in value does not mean equal in every function. And everyone who is married knows that to be true. Remember, he has ultimate authority in the church. We are his bride, his body, and we believe the word of God is clear that only qualified men are to serve in the office of pastor. Now hear me, I did not say all men. Only qualified men are called to be pastors. That being said, we believe the role of pastor is the only limitation on women in ministry. Praise God, we have incredibly ministry leaders. Carissa Carter was just up here doing our announcements early in the service. I praise God for the ministry of Carissa and so many like her who we've seen. I know my family has benefited from the preschool ministry here at our church. We have incredibly gifted men and women serving in ministry, but we believe the word of God is clear. Pastors are to be qualified men. Then it says, a one woman man. What does that mean? We believe that simply means a faithful man. A man who only has eyes and a heart for his wife. It does not mean you have to be married to be a pastor. But if you are married, you are to be a one woman man. I am to be faithful to my wife, Candace, in every single way, in thought, in deed, and in action. Now, you do not have to be married to be a pastor. The reason I believe that is because I know a man in the New Testament who was not married. His name is Jesus, and I'd be willing to bet if he came and wanted to be a pastor at Hope Church, we'd probably let him in through the process. I don't know about you. But some people would say, you need to be married. We don't believe the Bible would say that. If you are married, you are to be a one-woman man. If that all makes sense, say amen. Let's go quickly through this. We'll just read the rest of it. We are to be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. These are all incredible words. I encourage you to read this later this week and dig deep. But let me just pause right there and say, as you read that list, I hope you've seen it. These aren't just pastoral traits. These are Christian traits. As Jesus is, is doing his work in you, this is what he desires for your life to look like. As, as followers of Jesus are maturing in the faith, we are to be faithful to our spouses, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. This isn't for some pastors wearing a cape of spirituality. It's for followers of Jesus. But listen, pastors should be a model for what every Christian is becoming. Pastors should be a model for what every Christian is becoming as the Spirit changes you. And then we're going to move on to verse number, or the end of verse 2. This is the only skill-based qualification we see in this whole list. Look at it. Able to teach. We believe men, qualified men who are called to be pastors should take seriously the teaching of God's word, have a burden to stand before a group of people. It doesn't need to be a large group of people, but stand before a group of people and rightly divide the word of truth. This is the only skill that we see here. Character matters. Then Paul turns to some things we should not be. Look at verse three, not a drunkard, pretty self-explanatory, not violent, but gentle. This is funny. If you have have the old King James or some of your older translations, it says not a striker. (laughs) What does that mean? We're not gonna just settle disputes here at Hope Church by going in the back and throwing hands, okay? I don't know if you came from a church like that. That's not how we're gonna do it here at Hope Church. Pastor Tom is not gonna call you for a boxing match if you wanna work out a situation here at Hope Church. Not a striker, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. These are all incredibly rich, great qualities that God requires of the men he calls to be pastors. 
but desires in all of us as followers of Jesus. And he's going to make us that as we let him. And then it moves on to verse four. Look at it. He must manage his own household well. Don't miss this. The biggest part of this passage speaks to the pastor's home. A pastor's home matters. Listen, it's not perfect by any means. But there is a man in that home who is spiritually leading his family. And that's not to say that every pastor's kids have to be a follower of Jesus. In case you missed it, you as parents, whether you're a pastor or a member of a church, you can't save your kids. You have absolutely no control on whether your, your kids become followers of Jesus or not. The only one who saves is Jesus. But our job as pastors, and honestly, our job as Christian parents, is to, to put kindling around their hearts so that if the Spirit of God chooses to light that up, you have prepared well for it. But you cannot save your kids, and neither can any pastor save his kids. But we must lead well as an example to the flock of how we lead our homes. Verse 6, he must be a, not be a recent convert. Spiritual maturity is important as you lead people. Spiritual maturity. And then verse 7, he must be well thought of by outsiders. A pastor's reputation in the community matters. Now, before we look at what a pastor does, I want us just to pause for a moment. Some self-reflection. If you have your Bible open there, just read through those few verses again. Knowing that these are the things that God requires of pastors, but God desires of every follower of Jesus. As we are formed more and more by one degree of glory to the next, as you look at that list, how are you allowing the Spirit of God to flesh that out in your life right now? As we begin March 2024, as you look at that list, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, are you allowing the Spirit of God to produce in you what he wants to? Which is somebody who is sober-minded, faithful to your spouse, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, managing your own household well, having a good reputation with outsiders. These are all things that the Lord desires to do in every follower of Jesus. But Jesus empowers human leadership to be an example. So we said two things we need to understand about pastors. Who a pastor is matters. And here's our second thing I need us to understand. What a pastor does matters. It speaks to competency. Go ahead and turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Last passage of scripture we're going to look at today. 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter 5, we start to see some things that a pastor is to do. If you're a member of the Hope Church family, I hope you are leaning in. This is, this is our role as pastors. Not just so we can say we did it, so that we could benefit what God wants to do here in our midst. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to be a member of the church. What it means to be a part of the body. That's where all of us have a part to play. 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you. Again, that's that same word, elders, overseers, bishops, same word. Not same word, same office. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here it is in verse two. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. 
not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There it is. See, this is a, a commentary on what we just read. We are examples to the flock. If that's not what he desired every follower of Jesus to become, why would we have to be examples? We are examples because that's what he desires all of us to become. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I wanna highlight a few words there, a few phrases there. The first one it says is shepherd the flock among you. This is another example of the desire in the heart of God that we would all meet together. If, if, the, if we aren't meeting together as a family, how can we shepherd the flock of God among us? For those Christians that would say, I don't need to be a part of a church to be a Christian, that is true. But how are we supposed to live out our calling to one another if we're not together? Shepherd the flock of God among you. That's why we desire as a church family to be among you. Yeah, we have a green room back there where we pray together and we spend some time there together in between services. But most of our time, we're gonna be out here because this is where the, the flock is. This is where we wanna be among our people. That's why if I hadn't met you, I'd love to meet you out in the lobby. I'm gonna be hanging out in the lobby because I wanna be among the people that God has called me to shepherd. And then it says, exercising oversight. Some of you don't like that at all. <laughs> you're reading that and you're going, I don't like that. Does that mean you're watching us? Kinda, <laughs> but not in a weird way, in a protective way. See, how can a shepherd do its job well if he's not watching the sheep? If he's not overseeing what is happening in their midst, that would be a negligent shepherd. We're watching for protection. The reason is because we're also being overseen. That's why I love verse four. There's a chief shepherd that one day will appear and every shepherd that has ever served him in a church will answer before God of how he watched over the sheep because the chief shepherd is coming for his under shepherds to let us know how we did. And by the way, I hope you know this includes me. I'm the senior pastor of Hope Church, yes, but I have one less pastor than every single one of you. Why? Because all of your pastors are also my pastors. I praise God for the godly men he's brought to this church to help shepherd me. I am the leader of that group of pastors, yes, but I submit myself to those godly men who help shepherd and pastor me. That's New Testament, by the way. Every time you talk about shepherds and pastors in the New Testament, it's always plural. This is never supposed to be one king of the kingdom. This is all supposed to be plural. There's a plurality of, of accountability and shepherding together. And then it says, willingly, willingly. Yes, is the role of pastor a title? Yes. But I need you to know for me, this is more of a privilege. I love pastoring this church family. I do not do this begrudgingly. I never show up to go, oh, I gotta go talk to those people again. Never, ever, ever. I come, I, I literally, I might be the only one, but every Monday morning when a lot of you are like, oh, it's Monday morning, I'm like, yes! It's time to go lean in and, and find out how to better shepherd this flock. Every Sunday morning as I'm driving here, I'm praising God and asking him to do a work here. Why? Because I'm doing this willingly, not begrudgingly. I'm doing this willingly because I love this church family. So here we go. I want to round third by asking very simple questions that will hopefully be applicable to how you see us pastor here. What is the role of pastors in the church? Specifically, what is the role of pastors in the church? Using these verses that we've already looked at as, as inspiration for what I wanna say, here's the role that you can understand we are leaning into. Here's the first one. Pastors are called to preserve the doctrine of the church. Specifically, feed the sheep. Pastors are called to preserve the doctrine of the church. 
by feeding the sheep. He said, how do you feed the sheep? I'll show you exactly how we feed the sheep, with the word of God. This is the only thing we can feed you with that will change your life. It is the sufficiency that we have and the only authority that we have. I'll say it to you this way, church. The only authority I have as a pastor is when my Bible is open. And that's the, the way we feed the sheep. We live in this strange time where everyone looks at pastors like we gotta have the answers for everything. I don't got the answers for everything. There's people that think my pastor has to be a cultural commentator, a political analyst. He's gotta be super engaging. He better make me laugh or I'm gonna go to a different church. Listen, I hope I make you laugh every once in a while, but I won't answer for God, to God for any of those things. I won't answer to God for how I navigated a political system that's coming up that we're all gonna just be diving into. I won't answer to God for how I navigated the cultural stream that we all can't keep up with. I won't answer for God, to God for how I made you laugh. I hope all those things are true and I could be helpful in some way, but I will answer to God one day for how I fed the sheep with the word of God, which is our sufficiency and authority. And every pastor that steps up here to preach, we will do that by God's grace, amen. Number two, pastors are called to provide direction for the church to lead the sheep. Yes, we preserve the doctrine, but we also provide direction to lead the sheep. God has called me and the pastors of this church to show us where God is moving. As we seek the Lord together, where is he leading us? So sermon series and other things that we do, we're saying this is where God's leading us. But also we provide direction on what it looks like to be discipled by Jesus. As we've already discussed, we are to be an example. This is a way we provide direction, maybe a little bit further down the road in some ways, that provide direction for you. I love how Hebrews 13, seven says, it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Check this out. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We provide direction. Lastly, pastors are called to pursue discipline for the purity of the church to protect the sheep. Now, if you're a part of the Hope Church family, I just need you to lean in. If you've checked out, come back for just a minute. I need you to hear this. Ever since there has been a church, sin is real. The devil is a liar. And not everyone that's a part of the gathering is a part of the family. In fact, some would come purposely trying to distract and distort what God is doing within the family. The Bible would call these wolves among sheep. Look at Acts chapter 20. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Again, same office we've already seen. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Amen. I know that after my de departure, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Why? To draw away the disciples after them. One of the least often talked about roles of pastors is to discipline within the church, not as punishment, but as protection. We are called to protect the sheep. Now listen, this is not to say if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus that we think you're a wolf. No, we're so glad you're here. This is not to say if you don't know Jesus, you're a wolf. There are certain people that actually come to make what this verse says, to draw away the disciples. They have evil intentions. And so you just have to know that's a conversation we constantly have as pastors. Not in a judgmental way, in a protective, caring way. 
that we want to call out sin and call out wolves. So for 23 years, we've done that dependent on the Lord. We don't want to do this flippantly. We do this together on dependence on God. But part of our job is to protect the sheep, to pursue discipline for the purity of the church. This is how we pastor. We, we feed the sheep, we lead the sheep, and we protect the sheep. Here's how I want to close. If you're here today and you're a part of the Hope Church family, what's the answer to this question? How should the church relate to their leaders? How, how should the church, functioning the way the Lord would have us, relate to their leaders? I want to give you, I want to humbly ask of you two things. The first one is simple. Follow your pastors. I know for some of you, you followed pastors and it has ended very badly for you. I'm so sorry for that. But let me just encourage you, bad leadership in the past does not negate God's design. And some of us have to do the work to get there and we wanna walk with you every step of the way. But we see in the scriptures, Paul the apostle said in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We see in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. I know we don't like the words obey and submit. I just know in my experience, when I've seen somebody worthy, worthy of following, I never have an issue following. This verse says, keeping watch over your souls. Can I just tell you, that's a weight for us. And it's a good weight because it says we're gonna give an account I'll never forget the day. Some of you were here 18 months ago, almost 17, I guess. I knelt down down here and I was, I was commissioned as the senior pastor of Hope Church. And I'll never forget that next morning, I woke up with a different weight than I've ever felt before. And it wasn't a bad weight, it was a good weight. It's, it's a holy weight I think God wants us to feel as pastors. Because I know one day I'm going to stand before God the one who everything was made through and for, and he's holding it all together, that God. I am going to stand before him and I'm going to give an account for how I loved and led this fellowship. And I just need you to know, I take that extremely seriously. I understand how dependent I am on Jesus. I understand that I'm flawed and sinful, but he is not. And so I press into him and I lead our pastors to do the same who are godly men, and all of the staff that we have serving do the same. This is why we're asking you to follow us because we are humans dependent on God's grace, but we believe he is using us. And many of you have felt the benefit of that. So pray, follow your pastors. Here's the second one, pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. The Bible actually asks you to do that, Hebrews 13, 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. Desiring to act honorably in all things. Yes and amen. Pray for us as we continue to walk out the Christian character required of us in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Pray for unity as, as we meet together and we tackle hard things and see where God's leading us. Unity and as we feed and lead and protect the church. As you read the New Testament, you see a pastoral heart in a man like Paul the Apostle. As I read the way Paul loved these churches, I'm finding myself agreeing wholeheartedly with how he loved the churches he was a part of. I love this church and, and I desire to see with our team, every follower of Jesus that's been placed here thrive and grow. I see that in Colossians chapter one. Look at how this says it as we end. 
How do we do all this? Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Here it is, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I yearn for that. I pray for that. This is what wakes me up in the middle of the night in all the good ways. God, help us. Help us by your grace to see everyone at Hope Church to present and present them to you one day mature in Christ. For this I toil, Paul says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Little commercial for next week. This is why it's such a big deal that we know who's a part of the church family. This is why understanding your role as a member of this church, as a part of this family is important because you're the ones that I believe I'm gonna answer for one day. I don't, just because I'm a pastor, not every Christian submits to what I say. I don't go into Starbucks. Who's a Christian in here? Me, I am a pastor. Okay, order your latte and get out of here, man. But there's a church family called Hope that God has given me the incredible privilege to lead. And next week, we're gonna talk about us all leaning in together so we all know who we are and what we're all called to do. We need you. Don't miss next week. Memorize Hebrews 10. Let's continue to see what God has for us. Jesus, you are good. You are strong. We trust you. I pray right now as we stand to sing, Lord, for every follower of Jesus, I pray that you would just continue to remind them of who they are in you and what their role is in this, in this fellowship. Just before we stand, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, every week of this series, we're so glad you're here. These are kind of home team, home team sermons, but you're here and you just need to know Jesus is building his church. That might actually mean he's building through you today and you become a follower of Christ. We'll have people down here. We'll have a prayer team down here. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. Any other ways that you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a member of hope, you wanna be prayed over, however we can pray for you and minister to you down here, we'd love to as our band leads us in a worship song. Let's just respond as God leads. Jesus, you are worthy. You are good. We praise your name. It's in that mighty name we pray.